Well, good morning. I also want to welcome you here to this uh, Atridge site. What we, one of the things that we do at this Atridge site in our services is we have the sermon uh, early on at the front end, and then we respond uh, throughout the, the remainder of the service. We call it Re- Revelation Response, and so that's uh, what we do here and sort of the pattern that we go with. Uh, let me just uh, open a word of prayer as well. Lord, thank you for your word that instructs us, that guides us, that holds a mirror up to us that helps us understand you and how we are to live in the world. And Spirit of God, I pray that you would lead us and guide us in these moments and that you would make us attentive to what you would have us uh, learn today and how we would respond. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, one thing that I can guarantee is true and common to all of us here in the room today is that uh, there's something that we can all relate to because we've, we've felt the impact of it in one way or another. And that is simply this, that, that every one of us uh, has made choices in our lives that you might call really dumb choices, that are poor decisions. Anybody relate to that? Okay. Some of you are not really willing to be honest yet. But every one of us makes decisions and has made decisions in life, whether they are big and small, that we kind of regret in one way or another. And then we get past it, and we kind of look back and we go, okay, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? How could I have been so foolish? Maybe we get caught up in the moment. Maybe it's some kind of emotional response to something. We disregard the advice that people have given us in one way or another, and then we just kind of wonder, okay, what was that about? Now, I, there are many examples in my life that I can think of, but one that keeps coming to my mind when I think about this topic, and I apologize for you who've heard it before, but it was years ago when we were living in Calgary, and I was driving home one day, and our neighbors had a garage sale. And uh, I, if you know me at all, and our staff know this, I hate garage sales. Um, but for some reason, I stopped there because it looked like they had some intriguing things, and I thought it gave me a chance to get to know my neighbor. And so I stopped in at this garage sale, and I saw that they had, he had this really nice, big, yellow John Deere blade for a garden tractor. That was just really, really cool. I thought, that is really nice. It was only 60 bucks. And I thought, I have got to buy this. So I picked it up, and I bought it, and I brought it home. And the problem is a couple things. First of all, I didn't own a garden tractor. Um, Second of all, um, we had a lawn that was probably about 150 square feet in total. Didn't even really need a mower. And so my wife made me take it back. Now, my neighbor was very gracious. I didn't know you could do refunds or returns at garage sales, but he actually allowed me to do that. So I felt bad, so I actually bought a used sink and brought that home. (laughs) But every one of us have made decisions in life that we regret or that we kind of go, what was I thinking? Um, And some of them have implications that are significant. Some of them have implications that are small. But we do that, right? I mean, maybe you've experienced that. You've been at a home show, let's say. You know, those are great things. You go to a home show and suddenly you make this purchase. You see this thing that you never realize that you really need to have until that moment. And it's like, oh my goodness, I can't live without this. And suddenly you're signing up for these monthly payments that you can't afford for a thing that you don't really even need, right? Or, or maybe it was that, that really colorful shirt that you bought that was on sale for a price that you couldn't refuse. And it didn't really fit perfectly, but it was such a good sale, and you thought, I need to make a statement with this thing, and it never actually left your closet after that. Or maybe it was a, 
course that you registered for, that you were sure that you could find the time that you were going to be able to do this course and, and you could do that and then life overwhelms you and that's not such a wise decision. Or maybe it's that relationship decision that you made that now has lifelong consequences. Or maybe it's getting into that car with a drunk friend who was driving because it was too embarrassing not to in the moment. You know, some, some bad decisions are simply embarrassing and other bad decisions cause us to walk with a limp for the rest of our lives. And that's just the reality of the choices that we make and the daily decisions that we make continuously, whether they're big or small. And so we need wisdom. We desperately need wisdom. The world needs wisdom. James, in this book that we're looking at in this series, speaks about wisdom and sees the importance of wisdom. If you go back to James chapter 1, verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And in today's text, we see uh, in, ver- in chapter 3, starting at verse 13, a very similar cry for wisdom. And the text that we're looking at today, and I encourage you to turn there, is the last part of James chapter 3, 13 to the end. But in 13 he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life and by deeds done in humility, in the humility that comes from wisdom. So James asks this good question. Who is wise and understanding among you? And last week, we were looking at the text at the beginning of chapter 3, where it says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because we know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And so here, he's asking, well, who is wise and understanding among you? Last week, it was speaking about the tongue and the fact that teachers use a lot of words, and therefore, they need to, don't be too quick to want to be a teacher. And here, we also see that teachers need to be wise and understanding, Teachers need to have a wisdom that comes from a life of obedience. One commentator said this, he says, teachers whose lives do not benefit from their own instruction should be avoided. And it's true. I mean, people want to follow teachers and and see the evidence of what they teach and what they know uh, as expressed in their lives. And so James is asking this great question as he says, who is wise and understanding among you? And then he even gives a picture of what wisdom looks like. He says, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And so he asks a good question, he paints a picture of it, but then the question remains for us, well, how do we get that wisdom? How do we obtain that? How do we achieve that over the course of our lives? So we're in this series called Big Faith from the book of James. As James has written this letter to persecuted Jewish believers that are scattered throughout that region of the world, and he is correcting false teaching. He is encouraging them in his faith. Uh, Commentators note that this is probably the very first book of the Bible that was written, so it's almost the closest to the resurrection of Jesus. And and, And James, being the brother of Jesus who grew up in his household, he has a unique window into this whole story. And James has talked about a number of things, and we've seen that that these small things are part of a big faith. And he's kind of unpacked throughout this book and this letter that we've read so far a whole bunch of different things that lead to this big faith. He's talked about perseverance under trials. He's talked about the path of temptation that leads to destruction. He's talked about the importance of listening and doing and what true religion is. He's talked about not to show favoritism. 
that true faith is revealed in the actions of our lives. He's talked about the fact that our tongue can be a powerful force for both good and evil. And then today, he picks up on the practical theme of wisdom and the wisdom that is needed in our lives. Now, we know that in good biblical interpretation, we need to pay attention to the context of any passage. And so even today, as we look at these verses from verse 13 to 18 in James chapter 3, we need to pay attention to the context, the the literary context that they are in, and the verses that have preceded that, and also the verses that come after that. And we will do that today. We'll actually look at a number of things before and after, because it helps us to understand more of what the context is and what he's meaning. And in modern translations, the translators have put in section headings, and in your Bibles, you might have a section heading or a title, and they've also put in over the years, they've put in these chapter breaks and verses that helps us kind of follow in reference, but we have to remember that these were letters written in a flow to a church, to a group of people that didn't have any of those things. It was just a flow of thought, and so we, some, we need to remember that as we interpret and understand Scripture and see the things that come before because the, the author is weaving together a story, weaving together a teaching, weaving together a letter that has different connecting points, and we'll see that here today. And so today the focus is on wisdom in the section that we are looking at particularly. As it says, it's revealed in a good life with deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But again, the question, how do we get it? And we'll come to that. There's an author and a pastor by the name of Megan Larissa Good, and, and she gives a definition of wisdom in this way. She says, wisdom means understanding the world in such a way that you are able to live well within it. So understanding the world in such a way that you can live well within the world. That's that's wisdom. And she goes on and she says it has an action orientation to it. It possesses a sharp eye for both the patterns and the unique demands of a particular situation. And in the Jewish culture that this was written into and to the people that this was written to, wisdom mattered to them. They they longed for wisdom. They looked for wisdom of God. They They had an oral tradition, and so people would pass down wisdom orally, verbally, throughout generations, from generation to generation, and wisdom really mattered to them. And it was also about not just the head knowledge of understanding what's up here, but the heart knowledge and the living out knowledge of how do we actually apply it in our lives. And so, Megan Larissa Gucci talks too also about there's this great difference between wisdom and knowledge, right? And there is. I mean, the wisdom... Uh, that we need to have is this application point, whereas the knowledge is something that we get through statistics and facts and information and so on. Knowledge is, is knowing how the mechanics of a combustion engine works in order to go from zero to 60 in under 10 seconds. That's knowledge. Wisdom is the capacity to test and weigh whether it's a good idea to try this engine's power in front of the local cop's house in a residential neighborhood at two in the morning. That's wisdom or lack of. So, and it could be easily argued that we need wisdom in our world today more than ever before. Partly because we have more knowledge and information than the world has ever known. There is more knowledge and information accumulated in any given day than we've had in centuries that have preceded us. In in terms of the access that we have to it, right? I mean, most of us have a computer device in our pockets that can access information and knowledge at an unbelievable rate. We listen to podcasts, we go to websites, we can hear great speakers and teaching. We can access knowledge 
at any given time constantly. Knowledge is never ending. And in fact, it overwhelms us. What we need is the wisdom to know what applies and how to apply that into our lives. And that's part of what James is talking about is this is the kind of wisdom that we need. Not just information, not just knowledge, but deep wisdom and what that looks like. But let's, let's read this text here for today, 13 to 18, James chapter 3. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambi- ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, quotation marks, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Pretty strong words. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And so the world longs for wisdom. Maybe it doesn't actually recognize how much it does, but it longs for wisdom. I think for each one of us, we, we long for wisdom. We might not put it in those kind of words, but we do. We long for it in our lives. If we're parents with kids, we long for wisdom for our kids to take the knowledge that they have and make wise choices. We, know, we, we long for wisdom uh, in our leaders, whether that's political leaders or church leaders or workplace leaders. And so wisdom, we know, matters. But again, how do we get it? And so I want to focus on three different aspects of how I think James helps us understand how to get wisdom. Because we see the evidence of what wisdom that comes from heaven looks like. He says it really clearly, and we, we could spend a lot of time unpacking that. But rather than going there about, here's what it looks like, I felt like, yeah, okay, that's great, but that's really the fruit or the evidence of wisdom. How do we get it? How, do we, how does that start to come out in our lives? And that's what I want us to look at today. And so James asked this great question, who is wise and understanding among you? And here's what heavenly wisdom looks like. So how do we get that kind of wisdom and not the painful wisdom of the world that he paints a picture of and he even calls demonic? So three things. First of all, I think we, we gain wisdom by processing our pain. By processing our pain. We all go through things in life where we go through trials, we go through suffering, we need to press into some things, we go through a season of drought or dryness or darkness or whatever the case may be, but we need to process our pain. James 1.5, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. We looked at that right at the beginning. But notice the context. Remember I said about context matters. What precedes it? What comes before it? What comes after it? This verse comes immediately after a section of suffering and trials and pain. James says more fully, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So here's the point. Pain is actually a great teacher. Many of us know that in our lives. We know that sometimes only too well. 
But pain and experience are only a good teacher if they are processed and reflected on. Pain and experience only become a good teacher if we actually allow them to do its work in our lives towards perseverance and maturity and the things that James talks about in this text. And where he says, you know, if you want wisdom, ask God for it. Ask God to help you understand and process these trials that you're going through and this pain that you're experiencing. And so as we process and start to understand our pain in one way or another, we gain wisdom. And it leads to maturity and the wisdom that James is talking about. We don't just sit in the pain as a victim, but we actually allow it to do its work in our lives. Author and pastor Andy Stanley, he he wrote a book called The Greatest Question Ever, and it's about wisdom. He says, the greatest question ever is simply this, what is the wise thing to do? And we often go to other places for answering questions about life, and uh, he, he takes that from Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 17, where Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And so our question needs to be, what is the wise thing to do, even in light of our pain? In light of the pain and the insights from our past experiences, in light of our present circumstances and where we are right now today, and also in light of the hopes and the future that God has for us and what we also hope for in our future. What's the wise thing to do? The second way that I think James helps us understand how to achieve this pain is to be honest with our hearts. To be honest with our hearts. He says in James 3, 14 and 16, he says, don't, don't just boast about it or deny the truth, but actually own it. So again, let's read it in text. He says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly and spiritual demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And so he's saying, recognize what's actually inside. And be honest with it. Don't boast about it, but also don't deny it. Face it head on. Like process what's in your heart, what's truly in your heart. He was teaching a very similar thing in, the, in, in just the verses that preceded this in James chapter 3 where he was talking about the tongue. And the last image that he uses, or the two images that he uses in 9 to 11, uh, talk about that. It talks about what is within. And let me just read that again. In James 3, 9 to 12, he says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursings. Cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And the point he's making here, and he's speaking in that portion about the tongue, is he's saying that what comes out of your tongue, pay attention to it. Because it's revealing something. It's showing what is deep down within you and down inside of you. And so it's, it's about processing the heart. And he's saying in that image that if there is a spring with water that comes from underneath the ground, and this water that comes up from the ground, it, the kind of water that comes up is whatever's in the ground. It's not something else. And it can't be two different kinds of water. It can't be salt water and then fresh water and kind of go back and forth. Whatever is in the spring is what will come up. 
And he's also saying that whatever is in the plant, like whatever kind of DNA is in that plant, whatever fruit that plant is created to create, is what will be made and what will be created. So a fig tree cannot produce olives, or vice versa. And so he's saying whatever it is that is deep inside that plant is what is going to come out. And so part of how we gain wisdom is we process what's in our hearts. And we're honest with it. Because what comes out of us is what's inside of us. And so that's why we need to pay attention to those things that come out. Whether it's in our words, whether it's in our attitudes, whether it's in our actions, we have to understand what's inside because what is truly inside will come out. In James 4 verse 1, if you look a little bit further, he says a very similar thing. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? In other words, same thing. What's inside will come out of you. So where do the quarrels and the fights and the arguments come from? It's the things that are battling on in your spirit. So when you're arguing continually with somebody, it's like, okay, what is it that's going on inside of you or me that is causing this? What is it that's coming out? There's something we need to process in there that we're dealing with or maybe not dealing with. The writer of Proverbs in Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Solomon understood that. We need to guard our hearts because everything that we do flows out of our hearts, out of that very core of our being. And so James is saying a very similar thing, that, that wisdom comes from within. And we need to, and there's different kinds of wisdom. So pay attention to the wisdom that is coming from within. And process it. Understand it. You know, just as an aside with these first two things, both about processing our pain and also what's inside of our hearts, one thing that's really important for us to recognize is that we need other people for that. We don't do that alone. I mean, we do that alone, but we don't only do it alone. We, we, we need to be processing these things in community, which is why we need to do that in our family settings. We need to do that in our small group settings, which is why we have small groups that gather together around the Word and also to share life together to help process some of these things. They become these places where we process pain. And we also process things that are going on inside of our hearts, and it helps us to gain wisdom if we allow it. If we allow other people to speak into our lives and to teach us and reflect back to us. So thirdly, the third way that I think James helps us to gain wisdom is that we do so by submitting to God. It's by knowing God by trusting God, by walking in obedience to God. You might call it submitting our lives to God. But recognizing that God is the God in heaven and we are not. And that God who created us and who designed this world and the way we are called to live actually might have a better understanding of how we are to live than we do. And so the more that we can understand God and His story and who He is and His character, the more we can live out of that and gain wisdom in terms of the life that we live and the decisions that we make on a day-to-day basis. And I love what James says a little bit further on in James chapter 4 again, looking a little bit further ahead, where he points out to the fact that God, as he says it this way, jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Beautiful phrase, how God jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to live within us. Meaning God has placed his spirit within us and he longs for that spirit to come to life. 
He longs for that Spirit to be fanned into flame. He longs for the fruit of the Spirit that that Spirit can produce in our lives to come out. He longs for the gifts of the Spirit that that Spirit has given us to come out and to be part of community. And so this beautiful picture of as we submit to God and as we submit to His Spirit in, His, in our lives, and as we recognize and embrace and allow the work of the Spirit in our lives, more of that Spirit comes out and it gives us wisdom. In the day-to-day decisions that we make, in the big and small decisions that we make, in our attitudes and our actions, in our language and our tongue, I love that God longs for that Spirit to come out. And so I think James is pointing us to this fact that as we submit to God, it changes us. And it gives us so much wisdom. Not the wisdom of the world, but the wisdom of heaven. That is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And then this evidence, this fruit, becomes very real in our lives. And we start to see it in the small evidence and the transformation of our attitudes and words and actions like we've talked about in this series. And it becomes part of this big faith that happens in small things. That God changes us. Because, you see, what we are is what we live. And what we live is what we sow. And we can see what we are by the fruit of what comes out of that. And so we practice this in community. We learn this in community. We discern this in community. He says part of this wisdom of heaven is impartial and sincere. And that word impartial is actually the opposite of what James talks about earlier in this letter where he talks about double-mindedness. And impartialness is actually the opposite of double-mindedness. And it means that we have this singular focus on who God is and God's purposes for our life and how we are to live out of them. And what it leads to is it leads to peace. Peace in our lives, peace in our communities, peace in our families, peace in our church. And it's this kind of peace that Scripture talks about, this word shalom, which means this wholeness, that, it, that, that our lives have integrity, that, that the words that we speak and the way we interact, that there is an integrity, that there is wholeness there and a completeness of peace. Because you see, peace is not just the absence of conflict, peace is the presence of Jesus. And so more, as we submit more and more to who God is in our lives, it gives us wisdom. And it brings this fruit of peace in our lives in all kinds of different ways as the character of God is revealed more and more in us and through us. The Apostle Paul, as he was writing letters to the churches, he talked about this wisdom too. And he, he talked about the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God and how so often the wisdom of God is just seen as foolishness to the world. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 and 30, he says it this way, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And he's saying how Jesus is our wisdom. And so the more that we submit our lives to Jesus and His Spirit, that He is longing to come alive in our lives, we gain wisdom. In the next chapter in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12 and 13, Paul says, What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, 
explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. So Paul too has been teaching about this different kind of wisdom, just as is James in this letter that we are reading today. And so wisdom is developed by submitting to God. We don't always like submission or that word, but all great relationships involve submission. In a marriage relationship, it involves submission one to another, that you actually arrange yourself under the other person, which is what submission is. In a friendship relationship or a family relationship, it requires mutual submission, that you actually submit yourself to others that you love. And in doing so, we arrange ourselves under them. We put their priorities first. And we think more about them than we do about ourselves. And when we do that, it transforms relationships. And that's the hardest thing for us to do because of our pride, isn't it? It's the hardest thing to do because we are just wired, this human nature within us, to just put ourselves first continuously. And yet we are called to seek a different kind of wisdom. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In other words, we begin to get wisdom and understanding as we have the fear or the understanding of the Lord and submit our lives under Him and what Jesus wants to do in our lives. So here's the beautiful thing. Even as we think about today we take communion and we come to the Lord's table, is that we worship a God who went first. We worship a God who actually submitted to us first. That before you were even born, Jesus went to the cross and submitted on a wooden cross for you. And it's out of that reality, it's out of that truth, it's out of embracing that and living our lives more under that authority that we are actually able to submit to other people. That we are actually able to love other people extravagantly. That we are actually able to live our lives with this kind of heavenly wisdom that James is talking about. But it comes from understanding and knowing this powerful truth of a God who submitted to us because He loved us so much. So countercultural, so non-intuitive, so different than what the world would expect of a Savior. And so that's the kind of wisdom that James invites us to, calls us to, longs for us to have. And here's what it looks like if we can obtain this kind of wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Would you stand with me and invite the worship team to come up? And I want to just conclude in a word of prayer as we continue to respond to the Word of God. Let's pray together. So Lord Jesus, I just thank You so much that You are a God who loved us, that You submitted to us. You submitted to the cross so that we could be free. And Lord, I pray for each one of us here today that You would help us to gain access to the kind of wisdom that You call us to that James is talking about by helping us to process our pain. That we wouldn't just sit in it and be victims in it, but that we would actually process our pain in ways that look to You and say, God, what are You wanting to teach me through this? Regardless of how it's come to us. 
Sometimes it comes through our own bad decisions. But God, you can teach us through anything and give us wisdom, and I pray that you would do that. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to process our hearts and to understand and to be honest with our hearts, that we wouldn't boast about the things that are in there, but also that we would not deny them, that we would be honest with what's going on in our hearts and what is coming out of our lives and out of our mouths and out of our actions and out of our attitudes, and that you would help us to process that well. And through that, that you would give us wisdom. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would also help us to submit more of our lives to you because of your love for us. I pray, just as James says, and as he's praying, Lord, I I pray that the spirit that you have put within us would be drawn out of us, that you long, that picture that you long for more of your spirit that you've placed within us. God, we long for that too. And we pray that your spirit would be fanned into flame in our lives with the fruit of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit, the power of the spirit, the presence of the spirit, Lord, that we would just know you intimately in that way. And God, through that, that we could live our lives out of wisdom that helps us to live with so many fewer regrets. But God, that we would experience and know your kingdom through this kind of wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.